Hey everyone, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That's my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies, and we try to bring each other into our interest with the latest news in both books and sports. And today is a book and snow episode. Yes, because we are also recording this the day that it snowed. Yes. There might actually still be snow when this episode goes live, so... We're not supposed to get above freezing till Friday, so... Yikes. It's around for the long haul. But onto the news, it doesn't look like there was a ton of book news. I pulled what I could from what I saw. There wasn't a lot going on this week. We might have a shorter episode or not because you also finished a book this week. Yeah, and those tend have the tendency to be longer episodes for sure. Yeah. But comedian and writer Quinta Brunson announced on Friday, February 12th, that she has a book coming out on June 15th. She memes well is about her life and the experience of being a meme. She discusses her personal life and her career as well. And the book will deal with topics like interracial dating, pursuing a comedy career, working at BuzzFeed, and being kind of recognizable as a person who's become multiple memes. I was going to say, this sounds kind of like a take, um, if they made a movie on this, FYI, like the Emoji movie, where it's just like, the meme movie. Oh, yeah. No, she talks about a lot of other things, but, like, if you saw her face, you would recognize her. Gotcha. But another book that was announced this week is Bill Gates' new book, which offers a real-world plan for avoiding a climate disaster. The book lays out how and why he thinks the world can get from emitting 51 billion tons of greenhouse gases a year today to net zero by 2050. His book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, The Solutions We Have and the Breakthroughs We Need, comes out on Tuesday, February 16th. And I guess in one of his interviews, someone pointed out the fact that he travels and, like, flies places. And he's gone to summit meetings about climate change and how he's a giant hypocrite. And he basically came out and said, I'm not the best ambassador, but I do what I can. And I'm like, that's the only real way to handle that, I feel. Yeah. And then this one I thought you would find interesting, this last piece of news that I have for the week. Anthony Bourdain's final book is going to hit stores this spring. When can I buy it? April 12th, or April 20th, sorry. I thought you were going to say April 1st, and I'm like, that's really mean. They're not releasing the book. No, April 20th. That's awesome. This posthumous travel guide was completed by his longtime assistant. It will be a nearly 500-page memoir-style book completed with the help of friend and assistant Lori Wooliver. World Travel, An Irreverent Guide, was originally set to publish in October of 2020. However, the project was left unfinished following his death in 2018. The book will include stories from his loved ones and colleagues, and the carefully curated guide features an intimate look at Bourdain's favorite places, as well as the perspectives of those closest to him. Yeah. The book will be released on... April 20th. And is available for pre-order now. It's kind of irony that he's putting it out on 420. Is it? Is he known for marijuana? No, but he's definitely partnered with people who do partake in that. But I've never really watched his stuff, so I don't know. I'm really sad. I I really want to watch those with you. And it's kind of like the travel show that we watch with the comedian and his dad, but not like comedy all the time. Okay. 
it's definitely more serious and as somebody who likes to travel i think you would really enjoy it like some of the places like one of my favorite episodes is when he goes to basque country in spain and it's just so beautiful yeah yeah but it's mostly seafood that they eat there so you would probably not want to be there yeah no but the sights would be gorgeous and he just he does a travel show that allows you to really see all walks of life of food so whether it's like really bougie to just street food so normal people food right and i I think that's one of the cool things about it and intertwining that combination of love that people have for that kind of stuff on television but also including like history of the food and history of the people and history of the areas and yeah so like you're actually learning things while you're also going like wow that'd be cool to travel there and see this in person and try this food and all that kind of stuff so he really does a good job of like covering the basis of a really solid trip yeah you know in a 30 minute to an hour long episode But that was all of the news that I found in all of my digging. Otherwise, people are just asking questions about the Grishaverse show coming out, Shadow and Bone, or talking about this rumor about the Harry Potter stuff, which we've already talked about the actual news for the new Harry Potter show. So nothing new has come out about that. People are just like, where is it going to take place? Where are they going to film? What's going to happen? It's like... No one knows. Nothing's come out yet. Yeah, all so. week long, I saw a lot of the shadow and the bone stuff on Twitter, like just randomly, yeah. like, blah, 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 blah. You know? I am very excited. I've actually put it in my calendar that I'm not allowed to do anything else that day. <laughs> I, I'm i just allowed to marathon this show. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And like, it's specifically on the calendar. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you, I guess. Well, I'm not very good at doing nothing, so, like, you should be. Yeah. But I have done what I've done for the past couple of tags that we've had together lately, and it's pulled a bunch of questions from a bunch of different tags, because I'm trying to find questions you can answer. Interesting. (laughs) So, in this made-up tag, the first question I liked, I don't know how you're going to feel about it, but it is, what do you like about buying new books? So, because I'm more of a comic guy, I really, and it sounds silly, but, like, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I love the new art. Okay. The book cover art, I think, is something that, it's not important for me to like the book, but, like, I thoroughly love looking at book cover art, and I think that's what I like about new books. Well, okay, this is also a normal problem with normal book readers and not just comic people because, like, we all have at one point or another picked up a book and bought it because the cover's gorgeous and know nothing about it. Like the book that's coming from Europe still. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was technically a pre-order. I've got, like, a month left till it's supposed to be here. Yeah. But I said that I mostly enjoy browsing the shelves and finding something that I've never heard of, but reading the synopsis or something about the cover art or just something about it makes me excited to read it. Right. Or picking up a book that I've been eyeing but haven't had a chance to get to until that moment and like the anticipation of the adventure I get to go on later. Like that's exciting for me. How often do you buy new books? Not as often as you. <laughs> Good job. I feel like that's a very generalized statement, though. No, not not often at all. I'd say if I buy a book a year, it's probably 
above average. But in fairness, I'm trying to play catch up on a lot of people's favorite books. Yeah. So. For me, I normally do pre-orders at Christmas and my birthday. So I'll do first half of the year pre-orders around Christmas and then back half of the year around my birthday since my birthday is about the middle of the year. But otherwise, I usually try to only buy books as I'm reading through a series. So like yeah. the next one that I need to read, I'll buy. Or this year, I started with breaking a like th- two to three year book buying ban where all I was allowed to buy was pre-orders and continuations of series. I couldn't just buy anything from backlist or start a new series. Right. And because I broke that this year, my brain just went all the books. Let's buy all the books. And so the first like six weeks of the year, I went a little bananas. Right. So I'm kind of trying to tone that back in and uh, do what I've been doing, which is only pre-orders and new books in the series, the next books in series. But I've got a lot of new series to start on my TBR now. So that helps. Yeah, you definitely do. You've been collecting a few of them this last couple of weeks. So do you currently have a monthly book buying limit? No. I said no, but maybe I should start. <laughs> I don't think it would be a bad thing, but... I mean, normally it's just pre-orders coming in throughout a month, and I don't ever actually buy anything, so... But the next question is, book buying bans, are they something you do? And I said yes. I am the enforcer of book buying bans. <laughs> which makes me an awful human being to most of you, I'm sure, but... Here's the thing. Before I started my two to three year, however long it was, book buying ban that I did, yeah. you were an enabler. Like, if I did something I didn't want to do, you'd be like, do you want to go to the bookstore? And I'll be like, yes. Because it made you happier than what you were. And that was the point. It wasn't meant to be like, you need to buy 80 million books. You know, that was never the goal. And if I hadn't had something on my list that I wanted to pick up, I would have said no. Yeah. But... You always had something on your list conveniently. But it's also sort of a problem because I hear about so many books from the book community online. So it's like, well, that sounded good and it's a backlist book. I guess I have to save it, add it to my list for some point in the future. Right. But book buying bans work really well to keep me to only doing things that I'll read at some point soon. Yeah. How big is your wish list? Do you have one? Um, not really currently. I know in the future I probably will, but as it sits right now, not not particularly. I think the goal really is to just try to get more books read. You just need to get familiarized with what's out there before you start trying to handpick stuff. I can agree with that. I said mine's not that long at the moment because, you know, I went crazy for six weeks. Yeah. But I'm sure that'll change now that I'm not freeing myself up like that. Do you have three books from your wish list that you want to own right now? Since you don't have a wish list. It's kind of complicated for me to do that. Assuming no. (laughs) I put that I want The Lives of Saints by Lee Bardugo. This is like a book within a book. So there's a book that the main character in the Grisha verse, the first three books in the series, has and reads from. And she came out with that somewhat recently, and I would like to own that. Also, a book that I talked about that's a new release from this month, The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis, because I read the summary for that and went, well, why did I not already know about this and pre-order it? Right. And then a book that I did pre-order, but it's not out yet, is Lycanthropy and Other Chronic Illnesses by Kristen O'Neill. And I actually saw 
she was on Tumblr talking about it and I saw it and I was like, I'm even more invested in this book now than I was two minutes ago. So that's exciting. And then the next few questions are just this or that. Okay. Zombies or vampires and why? So I have always been more of a zombie guy only because... The Walking Dead. No. (laughs) Okay. I'm not on that bandwagon. No. So like just the old black and white zombie movies like I really liked as a kid growing up. And I just feel like it kind of set that standard for just level of like creepy and spooky for me. But I can't really hate on vampires either because I've written reports on the history of like Nosferatu and so on and so forth. So uh, I would I'm going to go zombies, though, just because I think they're less abused necessarily. Whereas like lately, it seems like everything's about vampires. So I would argue with you against that because we did have a vampire like hype and build up in the specifically YA community around the 2012s and slightly before when stuff Meyer started coming out with Twilight. Everything was vampires for a few years and then it's been backed off a lot. But recently they have started releasing more vampire books, but there were several years when there wasn't anything about vampires in the book community as far as what I was reading anyway. Gotcha. But I said vampires because I think zombies just seem gross. <laughs> They're dead. Yeah. And decaying. And that's disgusting. That's fantastic. And like, if you know what dead bodies are supposed to look like, that's real icky. Yeah. <laughs> so. Real icky. It's real icky and I don't like it at all. Okay. <laughs> so would you go for werewolves or ghosts and why? Ooh, that's a tougher one because I really like both. I like the werewolf side of stuff just because of the lore that exists out there about it more so than ghosts. I'm not really a big believer in ghosts. I never really have been. Um, Are you a big believer in werewolves? I would believe that they probably exist more often than ghosts do. Interesting. Um, Which kind of leads you to believe that I don't believe in ghosts at all. Kind of the similar with werewolves. Or that you're going in a very weird werewolf direction in your life. Yeah, I don't know. Like, when I was in Scouts, like, there was this haunted barn that you got to camp in and you get, like, a weird ghost badge thing. And, like, everybody was like, oh, my God, it's haunted. Like, we shouldn't go do this. And I'm like, all right, I'll go sleep in it. And, you know, it was, like, no big deal because it was just a barn. See, my family and I actually kind of had a ghost experience. I don't think that... It was actually a ghost, but members of my family did, so I don't know. But I said werewolves anyway, because ghosts give me the creeps. Dead things, I just don't like them. It's probably not a bad decision. (laughs) Right. Also, you can't really kill a ghost, so that's problematic. It's true. Though I did like Julie and the Phantoms, and that's about a bunch of rocker ghosts, so like... Also true. Would Julie and the Phantoms have been better with werewolves? Yes. (laughs) Anyway... I had to think about that for a second. I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, it would. Yes, it would have been. Do you prefer shapeshifters or angels and why? See, now that's a harder one. With angels, does it include archangels or is it just angels? It just says angels. Take that how you will. I'm going to go with shapeshifters. I, I really don't like either one that much like in a book. Okay. I just not something that like appeals to me, so... I said shapeshifters because angels are always so holier than thou. Yeah. I know everyone's better than me. I don't need you telling me that all the time. I don't think that's the way angels are, though. They're, you know, they're supposed to be humble, aren't they? Like, they're God's servants, more or less. 
Well, I mean, also, I'm talking about the fictionalized ones in books and not the ones actually from, you know, the other fictionalized book, which is the Bible. Yeah. Just my opinion. <laughs> so maybe we should go to that one. <laughs> what is a book that you loved while you were reading it, but discovered later that it wasn't great writing? Because everyone goes through that at some point. I don't know if you have. I don't know that I've really experienced it, like, in current memory. Like, I can't really think back to something where I was like, man, that's... Well, I have mine at the tip of my tongue because I read Twilight in high school. Yeah. And that was just my next big obsession. Like, that was all I cared about for a while. Those uh, aren't great literature. They're not good books. It's abuse. So, like... Yeah. I think, honestly, my favorite part of Twilight that has always been my favorite part of Twilight is the side characters. I don't care about Bella. I don't care about Edward. Like, the side characters need their own stories and not written by Stephanie Meyer. So. Tell me how you really feel. Okay. Do you have 12 hours? No, I do not. Okay. And this one I picked out for me as a question. Okay. Do you get sick while reading in a car? Uh, yeah, I definitely do. And I think you've experienced it once or twice. I usually try to avoid reading anything, including like text messages while I'm in the car, just because it throws me off so much. Well, mine I put absolutely. I can barely even look at my phone while I'm in the car. So it's like that bad. I can't even really do GPS if it's already sort of at that point. I'm already nauseated. Yeah. What is a book you would refuse to lend out because you love it too much? Probably the first year, or first year, geez, the first edition uh, English Harry Potter book. I don't know that I could lend another one of those out ever. I did like a blanket thing, which was probably any of my special editions or illustrated editions. Anything that's on the special book shelf, I would not lend out. I said, otherwise, I'd be able to replace a lot of things pretty easily. So none of those. Maybe my signed books, I wouldn't want to have people borrowing and reading. Right. But I only have a handful of those. But that's the tag. Oh, me. I wasn't so bad. No. And you were able to answer all the questions. Hooray. As for what I have been reading this past week, I did a bad thing. Something I said I wasn't going to do. You read more more things than you said you were going to do. I read three books instead of two books. But here's the thing. (laughs) What had happened? What had happened was... I was approved for an arc on NetGalley that I really wanted to read. And so I just finished my other book early and then read this really fast. (laughs) So it happened. We're moving on. Let's say I'm shocked, but I'm not. (laughs) First, I read Counting Down With You by Tashi Buayan. What are we counting down from? You say it? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. It is a NetGalley arc. The book releases on May 4th. I wanted to read it the week of Valentine's Day because it's a YA contemporary romance. I ended up rating it four stars, which is pretty good for a contemporary for me. As you know, my scale is a little weird. Yeah. But this is a book about a good girl who decides to help out the bad boy at school by fake dating him. And the only problem being that he's kind of the perfect boyfriend. This is an own voices with POC rep. It also has mental health rep in anxiety, which I thought was done really well as someone with anxiety. Yeah. My main problem with this is that it's a story about a girl's life for the month that her family, her parents, are gone back home to visit one side of the family. So she is staying at home with her brother and her grandma 
And she has some freedoms that she's never had before because she is in a Bangladeshi Muslim family. Yeah. So they have a lot of rules and restrictions that it's hard for her to be able to do the things that make her happy because she's so worried about keeping her family happy. And I said in my review that this is something that I didn't personally have to deal with as a white girl in the middle of Oklahoma, USA. Like, I never had to really have the pressure of this sort of, like, almost conditional love is what it felt like in the book. And you really see her trying to deal with a lot of these, like, harder-hitting issues, which I didn't expect. Because this is, like, a fake dating thing. She's tutoring this guy, fake dating him so no one knows that she's tutoring him. And he's supposed to be this bad boy. But then it's also talking about anxiety and doing things that are right for you and not other people. And being able to put yourself first without feeling selfish about it. While also dealing with the fact that your family might actually have conditional love for you and how to deal with not having that unconditional love that you expect from your family. But it also deals with a couple other topics because the guy that she's fake dating is this rich white boy. And so it's also talking about socioeconomic classes and like the fact that he just sort of expects his family to always be there and he expects her to be able to do what she wants and how they have to sort of meet in the middle with all these different boundaries that he's not used to. Right. And like at one point she sets a boundary with him because he shows up at her house while her parents are still gone, but just randomly without warning. And she's like, you can't do that. You can never just show up at my house. Yeah. And she has to like break it down for him about why this is and how this works. And he ends up really respecting all of her boundaries that she gives him. And like none of them are about like physical boundaries when you're in a relationship about what you will and won't do. It's always about other aspects of their relationship. And I think it was done really well and it was really healthy in my opinion. And there are some times when she calls him on his BS, which, you know, is always fun. And then I picked up what is technically a new release because it came out at the end of December, so it hasn't been a full year yet. But it's Escaping Eleven by Jerry Chisholm, I think is how you say her name. It is a YA dystopian novel that I couldn't believe that I had waited this long to dig into because that was just candy for me when I was in like high school and college. Like dystopian was my favorite genre. And I think that was really to my detriment when picking this one up because I struggled with the world building. And I'll get more into that in a second. I ended up rating it 3.5 stars. So it's good, but not as good as I had anticipated. Right. Knowing that you love dystopian books. Right. Basically, in this world, the Earth has been destroyed by humans. And so everyone has to live in underground compounds. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of these around the world. Got it. And they are the only inhabitable spaces left. In compound 11, the hierarchy of the floors is everything. If you live on floor one, you're the worst of the worst. You barely get any food allotments. You barely get any clothing allotments. You can only have the really bad jobs like sanitarian and other stuff like that. Gotcha. 
And we start with the main character who lives on the floor where they fight for the entertainment of everyone in the compound. They don't have, you know, football, movies, stuff like that. So instead, fighting is their main form of entertainment. Combat. Yeah. But she ends up realizing that she needs to fight more than for her survival. She needs to fight for freedom. She wants to leave the compound, basically. Interesting. And this does have a romance in here, but I actually kind of liked it. I wish that had actually been explored more, which is really rare for me to say about romance in books. Normally, I think there's too much. But the world building was very lackluster. I think I said in my review that part of the reason that I could actually build the world in my head was because I have experience with a similar dystopian style where... You have, like, the same compounds, the same hierarchy. And that's the Fringe series by Tara Brenner, I think is her name. I read that a few years ago, and that gave me, like, a baseline for this because the world building was so not there. Yeah. Which is frustrating. Like, there are some elements of the world that I understand very well because we spent so much time there. And then a bunch of other things I have questions about that... I hope she'll answer in book two because I do plan on reading the next book despite only giving the first one 3.5 because I think, A, this will give me more world building that I was missing in book one, but also the way book one left off, like, I could stop there and, like, that's fine, but I also want to see the repercussions for what happened at the last sentence of the last page of the book, if we're being honest, like, right at the end. But like I said, I struggle because I've read so many dystopian novels, like all over the spectrum, good, bad, whatever. And I think if you're newer to the genre, you're going to do better with this book than I did. Because a lot of things I've already seen before or weren't done as well as other things I've seen. So I think I could have done with another solid 100 pages. And, like, 100 pages is a lot of book, but I think it really needed it for not just world building, but also some character development between her friendships, but also her relationship, because everything felt a little distant from the reader, but that's just me. But I finished all of that probably on Thursday, because I got approved for the new Christina Lauren coming out this year. Yeah. I started reading Christina Lauren when I got sick with COVID last year. And now it's like, if there's an arc on NetGalley from them, I'm like requesting it immediately. I want it. This one is called The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. Again, it's a NetGalley arc. It releases on May 18th. I rated it 4.25 stars. So for a contemporary, that is very high for me. That's practically a five star. But it's a contemporary, so it's not. But... It's another DNA test to find your soulmate story. This is the second one I'm reading this month. Was it better or worse than the previous one? It was different. But if we go off rating, it's just very slightly worse because it got 0.25 stars less, I think, than the other one. Got it. But the soulmate equation is about a single mom and statistician, Jess, who has had it with dating, especially after going out with a recent divorcee who cannot shut up about his recent divorce. I feel like everybody's been there before, at least right. a little bit. Like, I haven't dated a divorcee ever, but, like, there's been those people where it's like, ah, your ex is so boring. There's a reason you left them. Why are you still talking about them? Because they're not over it, but anyway. No. 
on a whim, she and her friend Fizzy, or Felicity. I was going to say Fizzy. That's her nickname. Like yeah. Fizzy Pop? They submit their DNA to a new company that is out to help you find your soulmate. But her world is turned upside down in a media frenzy when she is matched with the founder of the company at the highest percentage it has had to date. Dang, that's pretty accurate. That's like 99.999999%. Well, 98%. Okay. But basically, they do it differently than it was done in the previous book, the John Mars book. Yeah. Because it's not just finding, like, your soulmate. It's like, you match best with this person, but here are all your other matches that you have in our system. So you can pick from your matches... But, like, they recommend you reach out to the match that's the highest of matches. Right. And, like, her friend Fizzy just goes on a bunch of dates with, like, her low matches so that she can just, like, hook up if she wants to. She's like, hey there, 60%, how you doing? get her own, you know? (laughs) Do it. Whatever. No shame in that at all. But she gets contacted pretty quickly from the company going, we need you to come in. This is the highest thing we've ever gotten. We need to talk to you. So they basically come up with a contract where they will do all the social media stuff, all the interviews and all of that. But they will also try to get to know each other outside of that by going on three dates a week. Yeah. And eventually... They start to question if they're really soulmates because of reasons I can't explain because, like, it's a giant plot point. Yeah. But I thought the characters were done really well. It's what you expect out of Christina Lauren, to be perfectly honest, because, like, you have a good story there. It's interesting. You have good side characters. You have a good main character. The plot makes sense. Yeah. And the romance, like, even though I feel like this is the least amount of sex scenes I've seen from Christina Lauren, it's just as compelling as far as, like, character chemistry and everything like that. Because there is a bit of buildup before you get to them actually having sex. So, like, you still get some of that steaminess without it being, like, completely raunchy, which I appreciate because I'm not big on the sex scenes. But it also took place in San Diego. We moved to Texas from San Diego, so, like, there was so much there that I'm like, I know where that is. I know how you get to there. You literally kept naming places, and I'm like, yeah, I we used to hang out there. Like, we used to do this, and we used to do that. And It was just really fun to see that, having lived there. And that's not going to be in the story for everyone, obviously. Yeah. But that was just fun for me. And, like, I even really liked her kid, and, like, I don't like children, so I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> The character is done really well. It's kind of like in the show Single Parents that we watched where the kids don't act like kids, but yeah. like they kind of do. Yeah. They're, so. they're, they're kids, but they're basically the ones that act more adults than the adults. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of like that, which was fun. But it also, the thing that gets me with Christina Lauren the most is that the romances are really real and, like, they deal with real-life hard situations. It's not just, you know, someone comes in on a white horse and, like, takes you away, whatever. Right. And I like that we're getting into the time when romances are more realistic. And I enjoy that our main male character is flawed and he makes mistakes, but he owns up to it. Right. And it's the same thing with Counting Down With You, which I had read earlier in the week because, like, the main male character was flawed and got called out for it, but he also owned up to his mistakes. And I think you're seeing a lot more of that than, like, the alpha male stuff that before the 
2020s was prominent in romance. And for what I plan on reading next, I am also going to do a bad thing because technically I've already started doing the bad thing because we're recording at the end of the day on Sunday and I've already done the bad thing. So I plan on reading The Little Paris Bookshop by Nina George. This is part of my read it or leave it list for the year. It's been on my physical TBR for five, six years, like a really long time. I picked it up right before we went to Paris. So that's a long time ago. Yeah, say least. I just, I need to finally read it. It's a backlist from 2013. I think it was translated in 2015. But basically, Mr. Perdue has a little bookshop on a barge in the Seine where he recommends the novels people need to get through the hardships of life. If you have a broken heart, if something bad happened at work, here's a book that will help you get through it. The only problem is he can't seem to mend his own heart, which was broken over 20 years ago when his, I don't want to call her a girlfriend because he's like the man on the side of her relationship, but like his lover left him. And since then, he hasn't been able to deal with his own broken heart. But eventually he decides to go on a mission to finally make peace with his loss by traveling on his barge to the south of France. That makes sense. Who isn't happier in the south of France? People who'd prefer to be in the north of France? I guess. It's just, the thing is, I know this is literary fiction. I literally just picked it up because I'm like, I'm going to Paris. This says Paris and bookshop. I'm going to buy it. And like, that was a mistake. And that's why it's been on my TBR for so long. That's why it's on my read it or leave it list for this year. I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah. I technically read the first hundred pages of this today and I was right I'm not gonna enjoy this book but sorry to hear that I have a really hard time with dnfing anything I never give myself that permission so even though I know I'm gonna hate it I will spend the next few days going through it yeah but the part of my reading list for the week that's the uh uh-oh part is I've already picked up and read Villainous by Stoney Williams and Jeff Szynski, and I'll talk about it in detail next time. But it was available to read as soon as possible from NetGalley, so you have things you have to get approved for and then things that are available to read right now. And I saw this comic and got very interested because I like morally gray characters. You don't say. This is the bind-up of the first five Villainous comics, And it is coming out on May 8th, I believe it was. It's about 100 pages long. And the synopsis for it is that Tilly is the newest superpowered person to join the Coalition of Heroes internship program, basically. Okay. But working with her idols isn't all it's cracked up to be when she learns a devastating truth about the organization. Now Tilly has to decide if she wants to get in line and stand with her heroes or take a risk and possibly become something more villainous. And uh, yeah, I already read that, so I'll talk about it next time. But that wasn't on the list originally. It was just a random added? Yeah, I submitted all my reviews for the Christina Lauren book, and then I found this. I'm like, well, I mean, it's really short. I could add it, and I did. So, (laughs) whoopsie daisies. Daisies, whoopsies. And then I will read all of Catching Fire by Suzanne Collins before the end of the week. For me, this is a reread. It's a backlist from 2009, which makes me feel real old. Right. 
I'm reading it for the podcast because you finished The Hunger Games this week and we'll be moving on to Catching Fire next week. It's true. And I'll try to leave the synopsis vague for you because you haven't started reading that one yet. I have not, and I'm excited to read it, but I also would not like spoilers. So the fallout from the rebellious move Katniss made at the end of The Hunger Games happens in this book. Also, the questions of how her family and friends will react from what happened in the games is answered. And what happens with her and Peta after the end of The Hunger Games. Yeah, you kind of get an abrupt cut at the end of this one, so... But I thought that was nice and vague for you there. Yeah, I think you kept it pretty vague. So we'll go into what I read this week, which, spoilers, as we've already discussed, is the last half of The Hunger Games. I was at the edge of my seat to the point where I feel like at times I didn't even realize I had read as much as I had, or that the time had gone by as much as it had. The end of the book is really fast-paced, especially compared with, like, the first to, like, third. Yeah. I think. I can agree with that sentiment completely. It was everything I hoped and more towards the end of it. Like, I feel like for some reason I forgot some of the ending portions of the movie, so it made the ending good for me. Yeah. At the same time, it obviously because it's still similar to the movie, it was a fairly familiar ending. It's just, like, the, the, the little, little changes and it kind of, like, excited me about it like i forgot about the feast i don't like for some reason i don't recall that being in the movie and you know if it is great if it's not well that's fantastic yeah but i really really enjoyed overall the closure with the characters that we got obviously we lost some characters this bit and it was sad you also kind of saw what level of sacrifice Peta had made for her yeah like to protect her like he literally sacrificed himself to the point where like edge of death was where he was at rewinding a little bit we stopped off at the part where katniss had dropped the tracker jacker nest and everyone was getting stung yeah at which point Peta, again being a little cinnamon roll was protecting her from Cato. Whether Katniss realized it or not. And in her delusion state, she falls into a ditch and somehow passes out. Yeah. And stays alive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she only got three stings, so it's not that bad. Yeah. And then she ends up, like, stumbling upon Rue. Or we should say Rue stumbles upon her, let's be honest, because Rue was watching her from the trees. Yeah. Like, oh, good to see that you made it through this. And so Rue kind of helps bandage Katniss, and Katniss helps Rue. And they form this alliance that obviously no one wants her to make. Like, you're basically dragging yourself down because you've been doing really well so far. Yeah. And Rue's just been surviving and hasn't been doing anything to really outlast everyone else, I guess. Well, you could argue that she is outlasting everybody else by staying up in the trees, but yeah. And she makes an alliance and they come to a decision that if this is the Hunger Games, let it be the Hunger Games for everyone. Yeah. They end up discussing and coming up with a plan to get rid of the food. Yeah, and how the distraction kind of is planned out as well, which puts Rue kind of more at the risk than anybody, really. Well, and I don't think Katniss thought of it that way, but when it actually played out, that's what ended up happening because when this sort of all plays out, you expect Katniss to be in a worse position because they could come back at any time. 
you know, they could have left someone there. Anything could have happened. Yeah. And so at first you just see Katniss try to figure out how to deal with whatever the heck that mound was. And watches Foxface just like prance right in there and take stuff out. And she's like, there must be something else going on. Well, and based on Foxface's reaction to nearly falling over, yeah. she realizes, oh crap, there are bombs. There's mines. At mines. Least, yeah. Uh all around the food. She figures out how to activate all of them, does it, but she gets injured in the process and loses her hearing in her left ear. Her right ear, she can hear ringing in, but she barely crawls out of the area and finds a place to hide before the careers show back up. Yeah. And at which point, we're not concerned about Rue, really, because all the careers are back and you figure She's within, like, the end of... The rope, basically, for herself. So, obviously, she dodges that bullet by hiding out until she can kind of come to from the blast. And so, she's making her way to the location where she's supposed to meet up with Rue, but Rue's not there. She just spends all day eating while waiting for Rue and then decides to go find her the next morning, I believe. Yeah, when she hears one of the uh, songbirds singing Rue's song. She doesn't hear that till she's closer. Oh, okay. But she goes tracking, trying to find her, goes to the location where she should have lit the third fire but hadn't. And so she eventually hears the song and I believe she hears Rue calling for Katniss because Rue has been strung up in a net. Yeah. And before Katniss can get there, the boy from District 1, I believe it was, ends up spearing Rue in the stomach. And this whole next part, like, makes me want to cry. Yeah, obviously you have that sadder scene between her and Rue where she's kind of singing a song to Rue and just kind of trying to comfort her more so than anything. Yeah. Through her death after putting an arrow through the throat of... District 1. District 1. I always forget what District Cato is from. 2. Okay. He and Clove were in 2. Okay. Glimmer, and I think the guy's name was Gloss, but I don't think you learn it in book one, is from District 1. Such a crappy name for the games. Yes, it is. On purpose. Yeah. Anyway, so she then remembers what Peta said on the roof about wanting to show that she's just not a piece of the games. And not something for the game makers to use. So she decorates Rue with all the flowers, and she gets honored in return kind of later on when District 11 sends her the loaf of, or the roll. The roll, yeah. Um, And that part actually made me cry this time reading it. I think other times when I've read it, I've cried about Rue, I've cried about the flowers, I've cried about the song, but the last time I read it was just the role and, like, how Katniss is being, like, respected and seen and honored, but then, like, also how she doesn't just eat it, she, like, honors them back yeah and thanks them for it and that made me cry yeah it got to me a little bit i didn't quite tear up but it definitely threw me down that spiral of possibility that connection and friendship between rue and and katniss is just untouchable i feel like to an extent well and like katniss saw rue kind of like her sister because they're roughly the same age right and it's or they might be the exact same age and She just wanted to do what she could to protect this little girl who I think she knew was 
Rue was never gonna win the game. Yeah, it was the game. If she was gonna ever win, was by sheer dumb luck more so than it would have been by like murderous skill. Right, and she's so young and innocent, and I feel like she felt like she already had this sort of camaraderie with her and a relationship with her from the get-go and so like that whole thing is hard yeah but eventually after Katniss is dealing with her sort of depression about everything it's announced one night that there's been a change to the rules yeah and and that was an interesting one because at the time there were two individual players left and two groups left yes i think that's correct there were the two from district two you had the two from district 12 the one from district 11 which is and then fox face and you had fox face i feel like was that it by that that point it at that point you've finished it far more recently than i have it's also a scene that stuck in my head very well And so, basically, the announcement says two players can win if they're from the same district, which interests four people very much. I was going to say, there were two groups that were over the moon, and the other two were like, well, dang. Yeah. And so, Katniss sort of freaks out in the tree. Yeah. Because she's, oh, oh my God, PETA. And she shouts his name out loud and then realizes that was a mistake whoopsie daisies yeah the next day she goes and finds him on the riverbank and he is a hot mess well because he has a fever well yeah he or she originally went back to where the tracker jackers were and then started following what direction she could remember the slightest bit of direction he was running in. It's kind of like stumbled upon him more so than anything. Just kind of hoped that he was still somewhere in that generalized direction. Well, Um, at one point she finds a boulder where someone, obviously very out of it, was trying to wipe off blood, but just smeared it around. Yeah. If we're getting specific. Yeah. But she ends up rinsing him off because he's caked in mud and dirt and plants. And she does what she can for him, which is not a lot. Yeah. And they end up having to find a little cave to hide in while trying to nurse him back to health. Yeah, he had blood poisoning or something like that is what it was related to because of whatever injury he had, right? Yeah, he got a sword to the thigh all the way down to the bone by Cato. And so he had blood poisoning, but he didn't bleed out, which is a miracle in itself. Yeah. Especially being in water, doesn't, that doesn't, like, slow down bleeding. It No, because it worsens your ability to clot. Yeah, so if anything, he should have been dead long before. That's but the he one was f- also in the mud, so I don't know that he was really in the water, that flowing water. I think he was in the mud and it was sort of caking to his leg. Got it. That's um, my thought. That would be the only argument to it, really. Because I was going to be like, otherwise, horrible writing. That was yeah. going to be the one time I'm just like... Mm. But they sort of are trying to play up the romance at this point because they want someone to help them. They need it bad. They need the sponsors. But at the same time, we're also kind of, as readers, exploring their history together and their history in the district separate from each other. And that was fun for me to see. I don't know that you would have enjoyed that part before the very end as much as I did because it's very heavy on the romance at that point. Yeah. But then one night, 
the announcer announces that there will be the feast, which happens every year. Yeah. It's basically trying to get everyone together to fight by providing certain things that they need. So the way I read this originally was that everybody had to come and sit down and have food like it was an actual feast. Oh, no. And as soon as everybody was done, it was just an all-out brawl. No. Because if that was the case, wow. Like, that would be so much more intense. Because you're just sitting, like, could you imagine face-to-face with everybody that wants to kill each other? And you're just sitting there, like, we're eating this food. And then as soon as the last person takes the last bite, death! <laughs> Not what happened. But, yeah. Um, so the problem is PETA will not let Katniss do this for him because he thinks she's just gonna die yeah and so he threatens that if she does try to go he will follow screaming her name the whole time drawing attention to them both yeah and so with a little help from Hamish and some supporters (laughs) she drugs him and knocks him out yeah she recognizes the smell of the medicine because it's the same medicine that her mom used to use on some of the injured minors and things like that so she goes otherwise for all i know this was the medicine that i was looking for to help out you know cure everything um it worked out well because it could have gone really bad if she was hoping it to fix the problem and it didn't you know and so she gets them all comfy cozy in the cave blocks them up and leaves right before dawn she also mixes it with some of the berries so that he doesn't recognize the taste because she knows that a lot of people from district 12 know the taste of that elixir right i was like that's really creative i wouldn't have thought about that i would have probably been like here you go no and when she gets there as soon as the thing pops up fox face is in and out like she knew she had to be she was hiding in the cornucopia which i thought was really creative yeah and i just kind of want to know how she got there without anybody seeing her but at the same time she would have had to go immediately yeah like the second it was was. announced she had to have been like within feet of it at that point and so she disappears with only her bag yeah and so no one wants to follow her also no one wants to be the next one up which as we know our lovely friend decides to be so it ends up that katniss gets into a conflict with clove and she's like ready to tear this girl apart with her knives but she promised kato that she would torture her and make it worth her while with creativity of killing her she ends up getting saved by thresh when he overhears clove talking crap about the girl from his district oh yeah talking trash about rue right and he just uses a rock and caves her skull in, and that was, ugh. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember that scene from the movie, but I'm kind of hoping it's there, because I do want to watch the movie. Not do, like, a comparison on the podcast, but I do want to see it just so that I can be like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that's who I am now. I want that comparison in my brain. Yeah. I believe it does happen in the movie, but it's less brutal than it comes across in writing, I think. Yeah, because in the book, it's just like almost like a savage man takes a rock to this girl's face and just bludgeons it in. It's a lot. And he spares her because they understand what it's like to owe people things. And he's like, after this, we're fair and square. Yeah. You're telling me you did this for the person I came in with, like... We're square now. Yeah. And 
she makes it back to the cave just in time to pass out from her injuries from Clove. And shoot Peta up with his drugs before she passes out. If I remember correctly, there was also a scene with Kato arriving, so, going after Thresh. Basically, Thresh uses the rock against Clove before he lets Katniss leave. Kato is calling her name back because she's screaming bloody murder yeah. for him to help her. Yeah. And so he technically does appear on the scene, but he doesn't react or interact with Katniss in any way. And then Thresh takes Kato's stuff as well, which... Ensuring that Kato is going to follow Thresh. Yeah, yeah. Which was smart. I, I, that, that was just such a funny scene to me because I'm like, dang, that was like two baller moves back to back by yeah. Thresh. And so like, I was actually rooting for Thresh, but obviously I know that Kato's going to be the... The final enemy, so it's kind of, like, not too shocking. But then they spend the next few days kind of helping each other heal from their wounds. And there's a downpour, and you have Kato and Thresh fighting off-page. So, like, you know that they're fighting, that they're together, and that they're the reason for all the rain. Yeah. But that you don't ever actually see. Yeah. So, after that, you have Katniss and Peeta when the rain has finally stopped and Thresh has died, going out and hunting and foraging because they're pretty much out of food at this point. But Peta is loud as crap. And yeah. so he is foraging while Katniss is hunting on her own and he finds some berries that he sets aside for later. Yes. But when Katniss comes back to find him, some of the berries and some cheese are gone. I was going to say the bag was opened up and things were missing. Yeah. Yeah. And then it turns out that Peta accidentally poisoned Foxface and she died. Yeah, what was it called? It was... Uh, Nightlock? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Something to that extent. And so that's another player down, leaving it just to the three of them. Yeah. Which means the next morning when they wake up back in their cave where it's safe for Peta, there's no water in their riverbed, in their stream. Yeah. And they realize that they're going to have to go to the lake. For the final battle. Bum, bum, bum. And they decide to go right then while they still have water and food and they're healthy enough. Makes sense. But right when Kato shows up, there are a bunch of mutations or mutts following and... That threw everyone... me off at first just for the terminology's sake of it because I was like, did they mean mutations or like mutants? And then I'm like, but I remember them using the word mutation or mutations earlier on in the book, so... It turns out while they're up on the top of the cornucopia getting as far away from the mutts as they can, they see that the mutts look like the other players who have died. Yeah, like the same eyes, like human eyes, Yeah, which was creepy because they're like dogs. They're like large dogs is the description of it. And they have the same color fur as the people would with hair. Like it's just... Yeah, it's real creepy. Yeah. Katniss is trying to kill the, as many of them as she could as she was running back to the cornucopia, as it were, in the first place. At a certain point, they start to realize that um, Kato's coming too because he was the one running away from the mutations in the first place. If I remember correctly, he came out of the forest, right? And he was running past everybody. He didn't come out of the forest. He came from the plain oh, where that's right. yeah. Thresh had been living. Yeah. But... They all eventually make it up to the top of the cornucopia, yeah. where that's that's as far out of their reach as they can get. Yeah. But they end up having their own conflict there because Cato decides he's going to try to kill 
PETA. Who can hardly defend himself because he can barely walk, let alone. And he, as well, he was bitten, I believe, yes, by one of the mutations. He was bitten by one of the mutts, and so he's bleeding, he's being choked. Yeah. And Katniss has her arrow pointed at Kato's head, which is the only vulnerable spot now that he's opened up his pack and found this whole suit of armor, basically. Shy of his hands, right? Well, his face, his hands, and his feet. Yeah. Basically, are the only vulnerable spots. So, Peta is, like, put an X on Kato's hand, like, shoot here. Yeah. And so she does, which causes Kato to release Peta and fall over the top of the cornucopia, where he is attacked by all the mutts. And they torture him, more or less. Like, they don't kill him immediately. They, they just, drag it out. Yeah. I think part of the reason it's drug out is, is by because the game of makers. the... Well, it's part of the armor yeah. situation, in my opinion, because a lot of people think that they're just trained to do that, but I think if he wasn't wearing the armor, he would get bit more locations and bleed out faster. Yeah, instead of just his head, his hands, and his legs, or, like, his feet. Foot. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of bleeding out, Peta's bleeding out on the top of the cornucopia waiting for Kato to die. So Katniss puts a tourniquet on him and they huddle together for warmth while spending all night listening to Kato be tortured. And he still isn't dead by morning. So like she has to jump down and put an arrow through Kato's head. She doesn't jump down. She removes the arrow from Peta's tourniquet. And then is basically flipped over the top of the cornucopia and shoots him in the head and kills him. And the mutts all leave and they're like, we won. Yeah. What's happening? Why are we not being airlifted out of here? And so they decide to move away from the body in case that's the reason. But then you hear Claudius Templesmith say, turns out previous rule doesn't really work. Sorry. Enjoy killing each other. Yeah. And, like, as someone who watches stuff like Survivor, if they implemented a rule change and then got rid of it at the end, I'd be like, this is nonsense. I would hate it. So I don't know how they're not worried about people at the Capitol absolutely hating that revoking of the rule. I, I don't think they expected any of the teams of two to win except for maybe District 2, so, like... Well, I feel like they wanted it to be, like, down to the final two so they could kill each other. I really think that they wanted it to be, like, the most epic drama that they could have yeah so i feel like they thought either district 2 or district 12 would have their final two in the final two yeah you were kind of like now the friends are foes yeah and force them into dueling each other in which katniss realizes like he's not gonna make it much longer well and Peta's like i'll just bleed out go ahead and shoot me it's yeah. better and she doesn't want to do that because she feels like she can't do that to not only Peta but herself and she can't deal with the fallout from that so she comes up with a plan and she fakes a poisoning with berries the the night lock is it night lock or nightshade it's one of those i don't remember which one but night lock is probably right i'm pretty sure it's night lock yeah and they decide no 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 we have to have a victor here you both win yeah fine you both win and they airlift him out yeah. And then comes what I think is probably part of my favorite and least favorite of this book. My favorite being the moment when they're dragging Peta away and Katniss is like, this is dangerous. Like, they're going to hurt him and yeah. like losing it. And they have to deal with everything that comes from being a victor. Yeah, all the interviews and the separation and... 
So first they had to get medical attention and then she gets to meet up with her prep team and everyone that helped her. Except for PETA. Because they want to see that on TV because that's good TV. Yeah. And like... There's so much tension in the scenes where she has to, like, play up their love and everything that happened in the games being a love story. Yeah. And, like, even just, like, the buildup and her getting ready for these interviews and stuff. And I like that she can't really see what's going on with PETA because I feel like that would give too much away for the actual end of the book. Yeah. But I also kind of liked seeing how they were together because I like them together and I liked seeing, like, the recapping of what happened yeah i think when they were re-watching like the all the deaths or whatever and the highlight reel basically yeah. of it, it was entertaining to see like what the two of them really did for each other yeah and it really put into visibility what Peta was doing the entire time to try to keep her safe right like, the multiple instances that it came up. Yeah. And it's another one of those moments, like I talked about last week, how she expects the absolute worst out of everybody, but then you see that not everyone's out to get you. Right. And that was fun. Yeah, it was It was weird, like, you telling me that, and then me seeing all those things play out, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed the book again, and I understand why so many people like The Hunger Games. I get it. Um, I will say my least favorite part of the entire book is at the end, when he realizes that while this might have been real for him, it was definitely not real for her. Well, it wasn't 100% real for her. I feel like there were definitely, like, emotional feelings. Yeah. And, like, that's they, that scene 100% when they're in the hovercraft leaving the games. Was real, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, the fact that he was just like, oh, this was all staged. And it's like, well, yeah, part of it was, but, like... Well, but he's never going to be able to tell the difference between what was for the games and what was real. Right. And so he's got to constantly question her feelings and the reality of the situation. Right. And, like, I kind of like that it ends there because I think that's a good spot to end the book without being, like, too much of a cliffhanger. Yeah. It's still a pretty hefty cliffhanger. Like, I was ready to read the next book immediately, but I know that I would have messed up my brain with what was going on so badly with this book, so. Yeah. But what did you end up reading the book? I think I gave it a four star. I, have I to think you did, check. too. I, that's my rating for it, too. I would say it's... Definitely a four, not anything higher than that. It was a good book. Well, and at the time that it came out, it was, I feel, even more impactful than it is rereading it later. This is one of those books that I feel like I can reread, but I don't think... You want to go out of your way to reread it every year? Right. I think it's one of those things that it doesn't hold a lot for me upon reread. Yeah. And I've read this a handful of times, so like... A lot of stories don't hold up to rereads, let alone five. So, like, it's okay that, for me, it was less impactful this time around than it was the first time. Yeah. But, like, it was something new and different and exciting when it came out originally in 2008, I think. So, I think, especially for people who don't read a lot of dystopian or haven't read a lot of dystopian because they haven't read a lot of books, it's something that is really interesting and different. I can agree with that. I have been a dystopian fan, just kind of like you in that instance with most of the books that I have read, but not obviously counting Harry Potter because it's not very dystopian. Well, I feel like the only dystopian you've really read is this and Divergent. Well, I've read other books previously, like The the Giver is kind of a dystopian style book. 
I actually haven't read The Giver. Uh, 1984, you know, is kind of a dystopian book. That's I've a read classic those. at this point. Um, so, you know, I'm not... I'm not new to it. We'll just leave it at that. You know, I have a solid basis of dystopian books, but not nearly as solid as you. But I think more so than you think I do. Possibly. Maybe you'll read The Giver this year. It's actually a really good book. That's what they tell me. Also pretty dystopian. Yeah. And up next, you'll be reading Catching Fire, the first roughly half of it before the next podcast. Yes, we'll have to figure out how many pages that is, probably tomorrow. It's going to be less than 200 pages. That's exciting. But I would say overall it was a good book. I enjoyed it. I think anybody that really wants to try it out should. That being said, I guess we will catch you through social media over the weekend. And Yeah, make sure you guys are checking out our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. Via our cool new Linktree app, which is kind of nice. Everything's all more or less one place for y'all. That's what he thinks. But we'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye.